How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 258. Woo! Zeke, there are 5,000 passengers, but 258 crew members. Do you want me to tell you what film that's from? Titanic. No, close. It is about two lovers, question mark, in a entrapped, confined space. But in, in space... Not on the ocean. Oh. Oh, passengers. It is passengers, yes. There we go. Well done. I did say but instead of and. It's for more appropriate, Zeke, for the, yeah. the sentence structure. Never yes, seen it. Neither. Neither. I've always, but I, I feel like I've seen those, you know, those YouTube summary videos where they just sort of sum up the film or the film. Why did I say it? So I know it was one of those films that like people were like hyped for but then disappointed by. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like 2016 was a... Kind of a good year for that. Hype films that didn't live up to the yeah. to said hype. It's very fair. I don't know why. I guess Batman v Superman was a big one. I mean, I you got what? Is it Jennifer? Yeah, you got Jennifer Lawrence yep. probably at the height of her popularity. Mm. Chris Pratt probably at awesome. the height of his yeah. popularity yeah. too. So, well, that's it. I think people are like, oh, what a great match. Height of their careers. Great sci-fi concept. Yeah. And um, yeah, I've never been. Uh, I've always like kind of. You're right. If it popped up on Netflix, I maybe would watch it, but I never, never jumped onto it. Yeah, I don't know why. It's like Life. I've never seen Life. That one was. Ah, uh, like... is that an Aliens spinoff? Yeah. It is. It's, oh no, it's it's like oh, I didn't know it was an Alien spinoff. I thought there's something. Maybe there was a rumor. Hmm. Wasn't the whole remind me with um, Prometheus? Was that like always rumored to be an Aliens film? Did people know? No, no, that that's definitively an Alien. It's an Alien sure, prequel. But, but I, I, for some reason, I remember when it was like being released. Prior to the movie coming out, did people know it was an Aliens thing? For some reason, I remember that being like a surprise when the movie came out. I think, I think that was the idea, but people caught on pretty, pretty quick. Savvy. Yeah, fair enough. That it wasn't like it's meant to almost feel Alien to Alien. Right. Oh, it's like the spiritual success. Oh, it's the yeah. real success. Yeah. I, yeah that's Another fair. Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had a few of those in the last few years, haven't we? Yeah, but, last um, few weeks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, you can go way back to the Napoleon episode yeah. to hear our thoughts on that. But, Zeke, we want to talk about Christmas today. We do. It's a, the, Today is, I think this might be the only episode of the podcast ever to release... On Christmas Day, 25th of December. Mm. So that's exciting. That is really cool. That is really cool. Well, I imagine we're experiencing two very different Christmases. Um, Yes. Different weathers. Yes. That is true. One hot, one cold. Um, (laughs) Are you a big Christmas fan? Um, like in, in what way, I guess. Is the... uh, I don't know. Like, you know, like, do you get like excited when like the, the, the decorations are going, like the whole experience um, of Christmas? I, I guess to answer this. So like this year, for example, I got home, was chatting to mum, and then she's like, oh, dad did the Christmas tree today. I was like, huh? And I turned around. It was literally right there next to me, his giant Christmas tree. I was like, oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> but, um... I you know what I think, I think once I'm doing my own Christmas decorations, yeah, you know what I mean. I think like that's, I think that's part of it. Is like when you're in your own place. If your parents are doing it, it was kind of fun when you were young. But I can imagine it's the kind of thing. Once you're doing the grunt work, once you're putting the tree up yourself, it's probably a lot more exciting. 
I can see that. I think that might I, be I, it. I definitely think Christmases are... Like, obviously, they're for everyone, but mm. the enjoyment for, from a child point of view is obviously very selfish. It's, it's about you getting and, yeah. presents. But on the other foot... If you you have a young fa- a family and you're you're obviously like you said putting in that all effort, there's that mm-hmm. enrichment aspect of you know your, you know the kids enjoying it and, yeah, and yeah. being a part of it and that sort of family aspect. I think. I guess that's it. Maybe we're sort of right there in the middle period where we're old enough to not enjoy sort of the fun like gift giving aspects of Christmas as young kids but also not quite old enough to be the one sort of in charge of the celebrations, like putting yes. up the tree yourself and buying the presents for your family. And I mean, like we, we go crazy on our, our presents to each other, me and my siblings and that, for example, but um, maybe that's it. Maybe we'll get reinvigorated as, as time goes on. No worries. So, yeah. Well, Jake, do you have any fun trivia facts from the film of the week? Elf. I do. Oh, what a film. Elf. And we'll, we'll get into it soon, of course. Um, I've seen Elf many, 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 many times over my uh, my childhood and growing up. But uh, one of the more hilarious scenes, or at least I personally find it very funny, is the all the Jack in the Box references or the scene mm. when <laughs> Will Ferrell he's he's been sent to like the toy testing part of the <laughs> of the North Pole, and he's just sort of waiting for it to pop up and scare him. And what I didn't realize is that those were remote controlled by Mr. John Favreau himself. So he was getting authentic reactions from Will Ferrell, who I guess wouldn't know. He what wouldn't know it? exactly when it was going to pop up. So I guess it's that. But even more interesting is that the voice of the Jack in the Box is Dow McKeenan uh, performing his laughing hyena from The Lady in the Tramp. So they kind of nicked the audio and snuck it into this film. I mean, it's very interesting. That is very interesting. Um, bit cheeky. It is cheeky. Uh, well, I'm gonna why? Because I want to hear what your fun fact is, Zeke. Yeah, but why you tell me? I'm going to quickly. The budget was oh, 33 million. Okay, that's way more than I thought. I thought maybe you know they're nicking audio and and especially some of the stuff in the real world where you have to imagine some of that was sort of um, jackass esque sort of. Well, it's funny you say that, because several minor traffic accidents occurred when Will Ferrell walked through the Lincoln Tunnel in his costume because people were so surprised and distracted from their driving to see him wearing an elf outfit. (laughs) So there is a little bit of gorilla sort of... That's it, gorilla, yeah. ...in that aspect there. Um, So I guess the budget maybe was like James Can, for example. Yes. Maybe that was a big... Part of yeah. that I, I okay. mean, it, as hilarious as it is, Will Ferrell then turned down $29 million for a sequel Elf to Elf Ooh. in late 2014. Because I guess at that point, maybe the uh, the Christmas films had dried up. Mm. Well, it's, it's interesting, actually, because I did read that, and that is an absurd amount of money to do a, to do a single film. I'm talking like Robbie Daniel Jr. numbers at this point. But I, I did read a quote where he talked about that, and I think he just said... Like, why Why do it? Why be, like, the wrinkly old elf and sort of get in the way of the image we all have from 2003? I I, res- I mean, it's surprisingly respectable of Will Ferrell. Mm. As someone who I'm not I'm not going to lie, I get a weird vibe from him. I feel like I he's a bit a- of a dick in person. <laughs> <laughs> I've always had the real up and down with Will Ferrell. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I think Ron Burgundy is one of my favourite oh, yes. <laughs> on-screen comedic actors. Like, that whole Anchorman character is... Yep. Hilarious, but I I do agree. He's very straight laced. 
he's a remarkable person because mm. he's so straight laced when being interviewed and sort of his personality is very yeah. like I want to say cold. He doesn't feel approachable or mm, nice. Like cold's correct, yeah. Um, and yet he plays such absurdist man child. Like he plays the <laughs> absurdist man child so well. Yeah. Um, especially in this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this film definitely had a, you could say, a knock-on effect with almost some of his other performances. In even a few years after this, with like Step Brothers. Yeah. And, and he shares Anchorman. the same mum in that film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Which blew my mind. There's but, a couple of cameos I have to mention later that blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, they're in this film. Yeah. And I had no idea, but... It is going to be an interesting thing, obviously, yeah, turning down that that sequel. And I did make the comment that the, the Christmas movie has dried up. And I have a feeling, because mm. obviously this episode being a little different, we're going to have a look at some of our own personal favourite yeah. Christmas films. I don't see any of them part, like, being... Um, oh, like younger than 2010 yeah right like, i see what you mean I feel like every christmas film on my list i was just looking at it it's like none of them i mean it's funny because like over the last several weeks we've been like even you know going back to like early november yeah um pretty much the second that halloween's over we almost skip the thanksgiving films and go straight into christmas films dropping on netflix and you're right it's all very hallmarky and cheap and and just fodder like it all just kind of drops on netflix just to add to the quantity over quality you're right we kind of don't get that anymore and one thing i kind of realized watching elf is there's very few live action christmas films at all period that totally utilize like santa elves north pole like all the iconography we're used to and so as per your suggestion zeke before doing this episode we've each put together five christmas films that maybe they're not the best but like the ones that maybe mean the most to us yeah some of our favorites and um i'm looking at my list uh, virtually none of them have like santa claus as like a main character for example so i think that's really interesting, interesting. so i think you're right there's definitely been a drop off since streaming well, i was i was just genuinely like i'm looking at my list and the old the youngest film on mm. my list is like 2000 and Five, maybe two thousand four. Yeah. Mine is what my one of the adaptations that I'm going to mention in my list is from two thousand nine, but I think that's the most recent one in this list. I'm with you there. Wow. Um, but I'm otherwise talking about a film from nineteen eighty four. So weird. yeah, I'm kind of with you. I totally get what you mean. But that's a long time. Even two thousand nine. That's fourteen years ago. Yeah. Like, when we like, I I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I can't think of a good Christmas film I've watched in recent Since memory 2009 and part of it as well maybe is that Christmas films have stopped appealing to us because the majority of these films are like oh these are perfect family films you watch when you grow up so maybe there's an aspect of that as we've gotten older but I'm also with you I'm like but we know we know the when these things are growing come up. up yeah this is the thing like how did we get a period and I really think that like there's a period in like from about 97 through to about 2004 mm. where there was almost a new Christmas film every year yeah. yeah, and then and it I love stopped. that they would take a year to come to DVD as well because they wanted to bank yeah. on the following Christmas being the DVD sales, which drove me nuts. Zeke. I yeah. hated that so much. And and then when did Fred Claus come out? Was that also <laughs> everyone's favorite just... Fred Claus? That was the first instinct. Uh, that was the first time when a, a cinema like something stuffed up 
and that the restart the movie was when I watched Fred Claus. 2007, okay. All right. That so makes a bit more Jake, sense. Jake, hit me up yes. with this 2009 Christmas film. Okay. Well, I'll go... And this is in no particular order. Yeah. But I, I'll start I, with this one. I think my one is definitively, I reckon, my favourite and has an argument for the best okay. Christmas film. But I will... All right. Let's go with this one. So the one that I'm referring mostly to the 1984 version, although there were several incarnations, including the 2009 animated Jim Carrey movie that they did. Oh, Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas Carol. And um, it's uh, it's such a... First off, the, the, I've read very few... I don't want to say I've read very few books in my life. But of the seminal books I've read, like Frankenstein, 1984, ironically, um, A Christmas Carol is certainly one of them where I've read many, many times. And, and all of these adaptations that I've seen, almost like the dialogue's almost word for word identical. They very, very scarcely have a mess with the source material. But, I mean, it just it kind of has the quintessential message of Christmas, you know, be, be beyond the materialism that we sort of had adopted a bit more recently. Um, it's a great it, film. I actually it, really like the Jim Carrey animated film. I remember liking it too, and I guess it's it's almost like a bit of a sequel to The Polar Express because Robert Zemeckis is doing a CG animation, and it's way... The uncanny valley-ness of it all is way less evident in Christmas Carol. I remember it looking phenomenal. Yeah, the detail in like a couple of years ago, still faces. was good. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I've so. gone with a Muppet Christmas Carol. Ah, very. Nice. I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah. I love the Muppet Christmas Carol. Nice. I think there's something about the the Jim Henson Muppets world. Mm. Yeah, and obviously that that coming, you know, like probably past the Muppet Prime, but you know, having seen a Michael Caine in there being oh, Scrooge so and. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. There's casting. something about the, I don't know. There's a beauty in the Muppets. Mm-hmm. I think. I think people really gravitated to that 2000 and was it eight or nine film when they they were kind of mm. that sort of was like their Renaissance film where yeah. they it was celebrating the Muppets and I, I found that film really good. But yeah, it's just a really really cute film. It's just fun. And it kind of also speaks to the fact that we both have this film on our list, in granted, in very different incarnations of yes. that film. Um, and the ones that I think about, especially 1984, they're almost scary. I remember being terrified of some of the imagery in there, like the face ghost coming up on the doorknob. It terrified me yeah. as a child. Um, but to your point, where it's like they're able to do a much more like kid-accessible or friendly version of the story, and it's still just as effective. Mm. It's still a very moving story, regardless of what context you put in, regardless whether they're, they're Muppets on screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's still an effective story. It's Who brilliant. doesn't love Kermit? Oh, yeah. I'm Kermit. I can't do it, Kermit. I have to say, mm. I, I, I kept it to feature films, but okay. I would be remiss to not mention a Charlie Brown Christmas of course. on this. I think, speaking of things you grow up with, obviously growing up with a lot of, of Snoopy and, and Peanuts, mm. but... There is actually is a genuinely like beautiful Christmas special. Aww. It's so wholesome, yeah, and lovely. But excellent. Um, I will mention that. Another one I have is a, uh, and this is probably, I mean, it was the birth of a whole subgenre for a couple of years. The mm. the massive ensemble piece. Ah, film. yes. Um, I'm speaking, of course, of Love Actually. Oh, um, of course. Um, I didn't even think about that when doing my list. 
Uh, yeah, of course. And that really birthed. There was a whole collection of mm. holiday films that preceded that absolutely sucked in comparison. <laughs> like Valentine's Day and yeah, things like that. New Year's yeah. Eve. I remember I went and saw New Year's Eve too in the cinema. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I can tell you're really happy about it. Oh, my God. And the funny thing, I remember <laughs> my mum was obsessed with Bon Jovi at the time. And he's oh, in yeah. New Year's Eve. Yeah. But he doesn't play Bon Jovi. He plays literally i was like jack hardwood like it had like this <laughs> that level of cheeseball yes, yeah. rock star name gotcha and i was just like why wouldn't you just say he's bon jovi like yeah he's bon jovi mm. like and the whole, he plays a singer like just like call what was him the bon- point yeah it's just bon jovi with extra steps <laughs> <laughs> but no love actually is great it's funny yeah it's cute um it's a film that I'm looking forward to going to London and actually watching in London. Oh, really that'd cool. be a great one. Um, yeah. No, that makes sense. I want to do that more, like, travelling and seeing films sort of in their native. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, didn't you see Uncut Gems in the US? Yeah, I got to see it at the, the Museum of Film. You bastard. I know. <laughs> Couldn't have picked, like, a better, like, indie film. Yeah. I'm surrounded. I got to see, like, the 2001 Space Odyssey exhibit. <sighs> Yeah. Got to see an Oscar with my own eyes. Like, that's like... There's, like, things you just never forget. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. That's the closest I'll ever get to one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. Oh, uh, exactly. we still got a lot of years in us, Sig. What else you got, it. Jake? But um, I'm just wondering where I want to go from here, because you talk, you talk about funny, sort of heartfelt... I guess a lot of these are. But let, let's go... With, well, here's the thing. I mentioned the beauty about A Christmas Carol is that it because it's quite a period piece, we're sort of removed away from the materialism of all. Mm-hmm. And a film that we've already covered on this podcast, but worth mentioning here again, is Home Alone. Mm. And again, this is great because I remember when we did our last discussion on Home Alone was that it almost did feel like a critique on like the chaos of Christmas and like the, the bureaucracy of it, of how it's taken the family so long to get back to, you know, to save little Kevin at home <laughs> and then the robbers taking advantage of the chaos to, to profit off it there's just a lot of great stuff in there that Home Alone sort of digs at while also being like a generally heartwarming family film um, I think it's a great choice yeah Home Alone's fantastic well I'll probably put in it's probably it's arch rival of the 90s Ooh. the other film that was definitely uh, always going I think beat for beat I mean they both got sequels I'm gonna go with uh, Santa Claus Ah, very good. Just a fun film. I remember not liking it very much. Really? I think I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd. I'm trying to remember why. That's yeah, I, I don't remember. Maybe maybe it's just... The Tim Allen humour. It could be hit or, hit or miss. Hmm. I grew up watching Santa well, Claus and that's Santa That's what Claus I was going to say so. is maybe I needed to grow up with it to appreciate it. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll concede I probably haven't watched it. Scott... I can't even remember the last time I watched Santa Claus. Mm. But to, it's a film that regularly was watched. Santa Claus 2 was probably watched more, to be honest. I okay. Else. But, yeah. And it's just the idea. It's this idea of killing Santa and having to become <laughs> Santa. is just funny. Well, there you go. There's another film where Santa Claus is one of the main characters. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's a break in the rule already. Um, I am going to go next with Jingle All The Way. My boy Arnie, 
that's a that's a film that has stood the test of time in our family. And I know I I, I imagine that it's bad, but like kind of like we were just saying, with growing up with these films, you almost can't tell anymore because yeah. you're so attached to just the story that provides. But yeah, Arnie and Jake Lloyd and just the give me my Turbo Man. It's just so, oh, it's, I love it. It's so cheesy and corny, and I and I love it. Um, put the cookie down now. This yeah, there's just so many classic quotes. But to pull at the heartstrings, Zeke, I yes. got to mention because this was the go-to film where my my avua, my grandmother, um, who was suffering dementia late in life, it was the go-to film for her, especially at Christmas, to watch over and over and over again and it was a fresh experience every time she could never quite remember how the story played out so it's, it's also special for that reason I would say lovely yeah. what about you Zeke? what's your next Christmas film uh, I gotta put a polar, the Polar Express nice I think it's Robbie Zemeckis back I think yeah I know it's just crazy <laughs> but I think I remember first time I saw it was a pre-primary excursion mm. shows your age there <laughs> um, I definitely saw it in cinemas as well yeah as a wee lad I saw two cin- I remember seeing two cin- uh, two films at, when I was at Christ the King in year one and then pre-primary mm. one was the Polar Express and the other one was uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl <laughs> nice in 3D with the blue yes. and red glasses um Taylor Lawton. That, 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 that was what that film was called, right? That was free. Yeah, Sharkboy and Lava Girl. The Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava Girl. Yeah. That was Something it. like that, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's wild to think about. Um, but I just remember, and I remember watching the film, and after we all got given a bell. Oh, really? Part of the experience. That's so cool. I know. <laughs> um, and I, and I, I think the ethos of the film, I think it's, it's genuinely kind of perfect mm. in terms of you know it, it's quite tough because a lot of a lot of the time now people get caught up in the the animation aspect yeah but they lose yeah. the fact of yeah. of genuinely how earnest and beautiful the message mm. was i completely so the end, agree the yeah. ending hits like a brick wall mm. like like that idea of like hearing the bell as you believing and and having that slowly that sort of hope even that 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 faith and hope in something greater than yourself dies away it's it's retaining that childhood it's 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 powerful and it's Mm. such a shame that the film a lot of people it's kind of memes now yeah Yeah. a lot of people don't watch the film because they yeah the, the animation's a bit janky it's a little bit like with shrek where i think people do generally love shrek and like the first two shreks are ama- the second shrek's incredible i think the sh- like second it's so one good. of the best animated films but <laughs> it kind of went through that period of time with the internet where it became such a meme you know yeah. shrek is love shrek is life and everything i feel like we've kind of gotten away from that where people realize like, oh it became a meme because the films are so great and I completely agree with you with the Polar Express, the uncanniness of it. I mean, I just mentioned it a moment ago, but you're right. It's like that kind of is almost a, a blocking people from seeing the story underneath, which is really powerful. And, and you know, we're obviously going to talk about Elf in a moment. And there's elements in Elf about this idea of kids and, and people just in general kind of 
falling to cynicism with age and not believing in, in you know, really anything and mm. hopes and dreams and in, in Santa Claus. And this film takes that same idea. And I think it came out pretty soon after. It wasn't very yeah. long after Elf and really cranks it to 11 with this, yeah, crafting the narrative around this idea of a kid who just doesn't believe anymore and has to go through this whimsical journey so to get there. It's brilliantly done. And Tom Hanks as like, so many of the characters as well playing multiple characters yeah he's fantastic and it just sometimes I, I wish it was almost done in a different animation style to allow for right, that like a 2d thing or no, a... yeah but i mean yeah i don't i don't know yeah probably a 2d thing or some way that allowed it to stand the test of time or it came yeah, out at a, yeah. at a at a later date i think like i said you've really got to I don't even remember it being that bad, but maybe uh, maybe it's just that sort of cherry. It's, it's probably the freeze frames. You know what I mean? People yeah. find like it's like it's like Michael Keaton when he there's that one moment where he goes to punch someone. People freeze frame it when he's got like his buck teeth sticking out, and you know they find the perfect freeze frames to mock it. And I think when you watch Polar Express without. Yeah, it's kind of... T- and everyone's different. Everyone's going to have different, like, sensibilities to it. They're going to be distracted by the uncanniness of it all. But I think you're remarkable. right. 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that seems That's harsh. Wrong, that's pretty it? harsh, yeah. I don't did like I, that. Did I miss something? <laughs> How long has it been since you've seen it? Oh, I'd say it's been five or six years. I don't think it's been that long. Yeah. I reckon the hot chocolate number alone... Should bump it up to like seventy five percent. Yeah, hot, 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 hot chocolate. It'll be do. It'll be do a watch. I reckon rewatch, rewatch, yeah. and reevaluate. Jake, Lou, what else you and Lou should watch it this Absolutely. Christmas. Excellent. What else have we got? Um, I'm gonna go with How the Grinch Stole Christmas again. Jim Carrey. Um, again, a seminal film. We've seen many, 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 many times. But you can't watch it because Doctor Seuss is cancelled. Oh, that's right. He is cancelled now, I guess. But apparently, <laughs> oh Just love god. This idea well, this... hey, look, I am not watching the Illumination Grinch film with Benedict Cumberbatch, so that that's my stance. Oh, yeah. But I'll very happily still watch the Jim Carrey Grinch. It's just so quotable. Like the makeup on Jim Carrey is just phenomenal. Um, sort of that irreverent, mean humor that it has, but also still being really fun and kid friendly the design of it all is is so wacky like i don't know if i would quite i mean kind of is german expressionism the way all the buildings and i know it's more like a dr seuss the way he the way those books are illustrated Mm. but like it does make the film really really unique so i have to give it a shout out there zeke oh i think that's a great 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 choice Mm. i've only got one more jake yes and you actually watched it in the last week i well yeah i watched it very recently Purely because I really wanted... I felt like we couldn't do a Christmas episode on the show, Zig, without me having seen this film. It's a wonderful life. It is a wonderful life. Wow. Oh, what a film. So, yeah, I only watched this very recently, and I've been excited to talk about it today. Um, it Man, it hits so hard. <laughs> it really does. I mean, the... I kind of... I was laughing because it, it sort of almost is like this, like slightly less political version of Citizen Kane. (laughs) 
and the way it frames the story around George Bailey, this character, and well, we're almost gi- we're given a little bit of information at the start with all the prayers, which is such a great device to get us into the story of like, okay, here's this character that's so well respected in the community. How did you get to this point where mm. everyone's so concerned for him? Um, and then the way we sort of build that story, and we get to understand him and his relationship is it's Mary, isn't it? His yes. relationship. Um, just so brilliantly done and how those were all building blocks for... I mean, I don't know what extent we want to expo- spoil this 70-plus-year-old film, but the last 30 minutes are magical. So magical. Takes it takes such a turn. Yeah. Because um, you, you saw this at the um, like an outdoor screening. Was it the first time yeah, you saw it? Yeah, it was the telethon That's right. um, screening. And, and it actually, you know, obviously has... It was the first date I went on with Lucinda, so Aww. that's that. It's always going to have that aspect to it. But I remember watching it and just being in awe of how wholesome it is. But mm. the messaging and and you like said, you know, you, we're looking at a post-war Europe at the time. We talked yes. about the impact that might have had on something like Third Man in a more contemporary and, and even darker sense. But yep. this this film has that that real embodiment of what became known as that sort of nuclear family values. But Mm. it also just, it teaches you so much and Mm. it has such a nice way. I think some of the final lines uh, delivered and and Mm. what happens, like you said, um, to uh, To George George Bailey's character. And and I think, I mean, Jimmy Stewart's performance is just like, yeah. Oh, he's so good. It's, you know, He's perfect balance of this like every man, but also like in those final sequences when he's on the bridge is just mm. distraught. Oh, it is, and, and and that's another reason why I just really want to praise the writing in the film. It's not even just the way they build to the sort of that last act, I guess, where the whole really every uh, yeah, just just phenomenal. But it's it's in the little things that as stressed and as as frustrated as as George gets throughout the film and it's not even just sort of you know with his family in those later years where it's a little more obvious where the stress is coming from with mm. the the eight thousand dollars and that but even the scene after his brother gets back um he gets off the train and they meet his new wife and he, they talk about his new job and i like the frustration that sort of slowly seeps out of george in those moments especially when he reunites with mary you know before they properly get together yeah. um the, the frustration that comes out, it's so brilliantly nuanced. It's never exactly clear what it is. Is it because of the marriage? Is it because of the job? Is it because he's he's been stuck here? And is it Bedford Falls, you know, for so long? I, there's such a nuance in the writing there. Um, and yeah, I keep going back to the ending. It's one, it's one of the most powerful sort of yeah. final acts I've ever seen in a film. And not, not for anything overtly shocking. It's just... It's like you said recently with another film, it just the ending with Polar Express, the ending kind of slaps you across the face. Yeah. And you're like, wow, like you really sit back and reevaluate the effect you've had on your little community that you've built throughout your life. And I love how many of those um, ensemble cast members have such mm. unique and different alternative realities, if you will. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> Cheeky. Yes. Um, <laughs> great film. It's one of those films that. You have to watch at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna make Kirsty sit down and watch it when we get yeah. some time. Well, have you caught anything else? Oh recently? well, I've I've still got one more <gasps> film, Zeke. 
There you go. What oh, is my, it? My cre- it is. It has to be Gremlins. Ah, Gremlins is, them after midnight. It's so funny. It's legitimately one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, and it's just like, I, it kind of falls into that diehard trap where like, mm. it kind of just takes place at Christmas. It, like a lot of the other films we've talked about, where a lot of the morals behind the films have sort of Christmas values of family and togetherness and community, and Gremlins doesn't necessarily have that. It's just kind of a satirical horror film that's just hilarious. <laughs> and people die in very funny ways, and the gremlins are just, like, so chaotic. And, and I, like, I, oh, it's so funny. I've never seen it. Oh, my God, dude. It's so hilarious. I have you have to. to watch it. There's the, just the stuff of all the gremlins in the bar drinking, sort of replicating the humans is so good. Um the uh, the little electric chair that goes up the stairs that <laughs> froze her out the window. It's <laughs> on binge, so yeah, maybe I will give oh, it a watch. Perfect. There you go. That that's that has to be one of my favorite. In the same vein as Die Hard, where it's like you can get lost in the technicalities, and for me, it's Gremlins because it's just like such a perfect holiday hilarity. There we go. So um, that's it. Those are those are our favorite Christmas films, Zeke. Excellent. Then it is time for us to move into the film of the week, Jake. We're going down the chimney. We what are. What are we watching? This week on the show, Zeke. For Christmas, we're watching Elf. No human being has ever set foot in Santa's workshop. Uh, that is until Buddy. I hear you're going on a journey to the big city. Can't wait to see my dad. This might be the opportunity to find out who you really are. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Thanks, Mr. Narwhal. Papa says New York is pretty different. Sorry! Looks like a Christmas tree. Sorry I can't ride with you the rest of the way up. Well, have a good time. Oh, I forgot to give you a hug! Dad! You look like you came from the North Pole. That's exactly where I came from. You have another son. You like sugar, huh? Is there sugar and syrup? Yes. Then yes. We can't leave him alone. He's going to destroy the place. Son of a nutcracker. These guys are bad news. Snowball. Where did you say you were from? Fruit spray? Wow. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. Buddy, a human, is raised among elves at the North Pole when he discovers that he is not an elf, but a man. So he travels to New York in search of his biological father. This is a very short film. Yeah, it's uh, 97 minutes. It is wildly nice short. And short, and, short and sharp, as yeah. they say, Zeke. It's a fun film. Yeah. No, it's fun. So this is the first time you've seen Elf? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Very good. Um, Look, uh, I, th- I mean, it's a, it's basically a, it's a PG Will Ferrell comedy. And <laughs> um, we get a lot of... 
I want to say this is is this the film that like launched him? Is this I, his I, launching pad film? I did a little because I was thinking the same thing. I did a little research. I think he was quite big with Saturday Night Live, and that was sort of a big chunk of his career before. But I really like you're right that like, this predates films like Step Brothers. It predates Anchorman. Mm. Like, not by I, much. But... Not by much, but I think it's sort of in that vein. Where I mean, it's the same thing with Steve Carell, where technically his de- debut was Bruce Almighty. But like I said, not much further away from Anchorman, where there was another reason for his explosive. Was it forty year of popularity. virgin? Isn't that that was a big one too. That's sort of like the big one. That's I the think big, that... big one that saved the office, and he became like worldwide household name. Um, but I think I think you might be right. I think if this is a seminal film in Will Ferrell's career, and I mean that's it because it's not even just you know the Saturday Night Live audience is very different you would think, from the general audience that are going to watch, you know, here's the 20, 2003 Christmas film of the year, Elf, and it's a funny, silly Elf thinks he's, or a human thinks he's an elf, and blah, 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 and um, classic fish-out-of-water story. I made so many parallels to Barbie, actually, watching this film. Because mm. it does have that same sort of, um, like that naive performance that Will Ferrell has as someone who's just sort of uh, so enchanted by this idea of a new world and entering it and realizing it's not quite the same as, as he's quite used to. So his performance is very similar to Margot Robbie's in that way. Even the sets, like the, you know, the quote Greta Gerwig, the authentic artificiality, where the especially the exterior North Pole sets, where yeah. like they're clearly inside this curved um, snowball, and the backdrops are really close and obvious, like it's obviously fake. And I love it. Yeah, I think it's such a stylish way of, of depicting it and like you said it it has such a it has the artificial fantastical aspect mm. to it and it's deliberate because then it makes his reality even more warped to when he comes to New York and he's explaining yeah I went through the candy cane forest and, <laughs> and I went on this the gumdrops thing. yeah and it is interesting to see like you said such a, a, a unique level of stylism you know we, we've talked about some of the previous Christmas films you know before this and mm. even if we look at the 90s wave of Christmas films, you know, you, you've you got the 80s sort of films where, you know, like, you're starting to see, oh, Christmas going horribly wrong in terms of the, the suburban Christmas nightmare. Right. And, yep. and that kind of, that bleeds more and more into what we see in, in with things like Home Alone and Santa Claus, where it's like Christmas, not in a fantastical sense, in a what's Christmas like at, at your family's home sort mm. of situation, whereas yep. this has got immediately off the, on the onset, it's... This the more fantastical yeah, aspect of it, yeah, which is then obviously creates this perfect irony for the fish out of water comedy, mm. yeah, especially when we enter New York and there's there's the familiar iconography and the tall towers and the snow and everything, but and and this is what I love about the film. I made a note that it takes fifty eight minutes for Will Ferrell to swap outfits in the film. He's in that elf costume for literally the first hour of the film. Um, and for having been in almost every scene in the film, I think that's a huge part of the film's sort of appeal and and the fact that it stood the test of time, that it's still sort of this film people watch every year for Christmas, is just him in those bright, vibrant green elf clothes (laughs) and then the visual of him walking through New York like that. And like you mentioned earlier, there's a little bit of a gorilla aspect to Mm. it where they shot it and got like authentic reactions from New Yorkers who were probably like, "Who was this clown? <laughs> what are they doing?" It's a it's a funny one because 
you know, I have to admit, there was that scene when he's getting biologically tested. Yeah. To, you know, obviously he goes and finds um, Walter, yep. played by James Kahn, who's his, his father. And after seeing him eat the absurd amount of sugar, I really wish that the, <laughs> the doctor had just said, yeah, you've got diabetes. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> because it's like, he's a human. Yeah. Like, would that not Eating have been like the junk. perfect joke? Like, yeah. You, your blood sugar is too high yeah that's true that's, like, that's just a sneak in at the end of the scene it's like oh by the way you have diabetes like, that is i actually did make a note of that like just how disgusting oh, those scenes are when he's meshing the, all the food together the syrup and i genuinely spaghetti. my stomach churns <laughs> when i see it i'm just like he certainly did throw up and apparently he had like had a lot of headaches just in general throughout the whole filming process because of that sugar? diet, yeah, what he was eating, which is, oh, good on him yeah. <laughs> for putting up with it. Because it just the take goes on so long. And this is an age where we're sort of, if there's going to be CG in the film, it has to be a big superhero film. I don't think we've hit quite the age where, like, these kinds of sort of, not it's not a hallmark film, of course, but these sort of lower budget mm. films, they don't have big, wild special effects. You don't see them in the everyday shots. Well, nowadays it's pretty common that just normal, regular ass shots of some sort of visual effect. But no, it it's, it lingers because that's Will Ferrell. That's half the gag is that's him as the actor doing yes. those things. So yeah, I loved a lot of that visual humor as well. That was the thing that stood out to me because it's been maybe a couple of years since I've seen it. Um, I forget which Christmases we've seen and have not seen it. But the thing that really stuck out to me this time, especially trying to be a little more analytical about the structure of the the story and and how the filmmaking was done it's still very funny i was laughing constantly throughout again with the -the jack-in-the-box stuff there's the there's that one little reaction he has when the pa speaker goes off in the store and he's kind of like has that split second like what the oh my god what was that (laughs) the voice of god he has got um yeah he's got um Mm -hmm. a lot of really funny moments in it yeah um and we really do start to see the uh, what the the Will Ferrell that we come to see in a lot of uh, cinematic performances mm. from him. Um, obviously, I think this one is a little bit more absurd. I think he he kind of obviously in this one he's this fish out of water childlike character, whereas yep. he kind of then a, you know we see that a little bit in Step Brothers, but it's obviously dialed to. 11 but he's just yeah, it's obviously slightly more grounded in, in Step Brothers. it becomes this uh contextual buffoonery is mm. what he's he's just so good at yeah. like you know in talladega nights he's this redneck race car driver <laughs> that's never finished last and and then in anchorman he's this ignorant misogynistic anchorman yeah and it's just fantastic um it's, I mean, it goes back to, you know, John Favreau's cameo in the film where he's, he calls it a childlike dependency or the fact that he's reverting to it, mm. which you can argue that those characteristics were always there. But if you go back to those earlier scenes where he's in the North Pole, he's a little, not not depressed, but he's kind of down and just sort of mopey and feels like he doesn't really fit. So it actually is, he is sort of playing a different version of that character once he's in New York because there is the excitement and, mm. oh, my God, I'm going to find my dad and, and we're going to make up for lost time. So I think that, I mean, just that phrase, a childlike dependency, is quite a key aspect to his um, performance in the film. And like you said, maybe this is the thing that just sort of almost typecasted him a little bit where most of his other comedic performances we know him for 
there's always that like man-child aspect to all of them. Yeah, absolutely. Some sort of reeled back a little bit, but then other times also pushed forward. Even in Barbie itself, and I'm starting to realize why he was casting that film beyond the Lego movie comparison. Is like, oh yeah, Elf and Barbie are very similar narratives. <laughs> but yeah. even there, as like the head of Mattel, he's still got that... There's a little bit of it in there. The man-child, like, oh, I'm going to kick my feet if things don't go my way. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's interesting. Is, is that mean he's typecast? Is that, is, is, mm. is, is that what that means? I mean, how many serious... He's in Stranger Than Fiction, I guess, in 2006. That's a little bit of a deviation. It's not a straight comedy, that film. No. It's a little bit like Nick Cage doing adaptation, but I kind of feel like this film contributed to Will Ferrell maybe being typecast in most of his films. I can't think of a serious Will Ferrell performance. Yeah. Like a really proper full-blown series. Because there's still the comedy comedic aspect in Stranger Than Fiction. Mm, exactly. Um, and that, uh, it's almost kind of intentional where he's cast in there to throw us off. Because I think we watched that film Stranger Than what, Fiction. Took two we... years for Steve Carell to be like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to do a, a suicidal <laughs> person. In Little Miss Sunshine, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think I think that he got lucky because I think a lot of those projects sort of crossed over where he did like Forty Year Old Virgin, Anchorman, and uh, like Bruce Almighty, and then Little Miss Sunshine. He kind of did those all within a bubble mm. where he wasn't able to be typecast into all of those films and projects were out, and of course including The Office. So he kind of got away with it there, and then someone like Jim Carrey kind of or uh, Adam Sandler even they kind of had to work towards it where they get, like, one every so often. They get one dramatic performance they're able to do in a film. Um, yeah, no, that that's a really interesting exploration. Well, let's talk, let's talk a bit about John Favreau, because I feel like this might also be a bit of a, a seminal film in his career. We know him, of course, now as, you know, Star Wars and Mandalorian. and Disney Godman. Exactly. Lion the Godfather King. of Disney, basically. <laughs> that's true. Well, Iron Man, he, he, he helmed and, and launched... The MCU. Ruined the last 20 years of my life. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, Favreau has, has become the most, I would argue, the most multifaceted uh, weapon of the of this of Western film in terms of just the sheer coverage and influence he has had on basically mainstream high production value mm. films. Um and I say multifaceted because I don't think there is a single person, in, or definitely not in the 21st century, that has, has done and covered as much ground as he has. No, well, even just looking um, at his... I'm realising I've seen nearly every film he's ever directed, and with the exception of a film called Made in 2001, this was his first... This was basically his debut. <laughs> and I'm actually... Yeah, he, he did Made with Vince Vaughn. He stars in it himself. Two aspiring boxers, lifelong friends get involved in money laundering scheme. Your very typical directorial debut. Yeah. The money laundering, bank heist type thing. And then Elf was his next project. Wow. That's wild. So, yeah, this is very seminal. And then he goes on to do Zavora. Chef kind of feels like between MCU pro projects, like Chef feels like the one where he gets to do his own thing. Mm. You know, I feels, love Chef. Chef's a great film. Chef's one of those films where it's just like fun to watch. Mm. It's like, yeah. This is like wholesome. I love this. I want a food truck. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do it. Yeah, the food and coffee truck. That's it. That's it. And yeah, you could see as like his career progresses, you do your Iron Man's and your Lion King's and Jungle Books in there. And then like you said, the Star Wars aspect of it. Yeah, and it's like, I don't want to say it's a shame because like he's had plenty 
to do. Mm. It's not like he's being lost to the corporate entity. He kind of feels like perfect for it in a way. But yeah, it is a little surprising looking back where I'm like, wow, the, Elf was really a mainstay. That was a big deal in yeah. his career. So shout out to him and his little cameo. No, I think there. it's a very valid point. Um, I want to shout out as well Andy Richter. Conan. Wait, Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel, yes, this is another big one for her. Isn't it weird? She's yeah, blonde I, in I this. Straight off the bat, just I'm a sucker for Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, but I genuinely can't fathom her age because mm. I always think she's significantly younger than like. And then this film comes; it's 2003. I'm like, how old are you in this film? Like, I wonder if it actually has her age. She's like the fifth credit here, which I guess makes sense because you got your James Carnes and your you know, your new hearts, Papa Elf. But she's 43, so she was okay. 20. She was born in 1980. So tw- yeah, 23. That sounds about right. Very Early young. 20s. There you go. But yeah. I mean, even Bob Newhart. I do love that the Bob Newhart's um, Papa Daddy. That's almost like the structure of the film is he's like doing a piece to camera. Mm. It's like almost a documentary with him <laughs> doing the interview. And then I, I guess that's meant to be the end of the film. Is um that's the piece that he's recording. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was quite cute. Um, what do we think of the relationship? I guess that, well, there's a couple of key relationships here, and I and I think this speaks to the whole like, the world thinks that that buddy needs to grow up, and maybe what the world really needs is to sort of reinvoke their childlike innocence that buddy yes. is able to to bring to everyone. I mean, that's pretty seminal in that final scene where they're singing. Mm, to exactly, the and that the that the the dreams that power the sleigh and the is it the sleigh the, the it's not the sleighometer what's it called the causeometer or the claws the clawsometer I should say um but yeah I guess the first relationship would be the one he has with his well his half brother mm. and I think that's kind of that's that it's it's got that very teenage vibe to it where he thinks he's really lame and he doesn't want to be like, oh God, I don't want to be seen with him. And then it's like, oh, he's actually kind of cool. Like, look how fast he can throw the snowballs. snowballs and yeah. yeah, like, oh, is he someone like, he's a brother I can eat junk food with. And yeah, there's all, there's all that aspect to it. So that, that's quite a wholesome little moment where they get to jump through the shop together. And then, and then in turn, you know, the brother, he's able to, uh, Michael, excuse me, is able to sort of help him ask, um, Oh god, how am I forgetting? Now? Jovi asking Jovi out on a date. Yeah. Where there's sort of that give and get between those two, quite quickly, I would say in the film. Yeah, well, but I think it comes back to that condensed time too, and obviously, mm. the idea of him kind of wearing down the the family defenses, if you will. Yeah. Obviously, I think the first domino to fall being the kid makes sense because he's the closest to the kid in terms of the mental uh, the brother. age. Yeah, the mental yeah, age. And yeah, and then. Obviously, um, and then em- Emily's is kind of the nice mother. Yeah, <laughs> she's she doesn't really need to get one over at any point. She's always the one kind of like, oh, let's give him a chance, you know. Yeah, he's your biological son. And then, uh, yeah, and then going back to Jovi Zoe Deschanel is probably I guess the next step to I don't want to say conquer. That's a <laughs> that's a really connotate really weird connotation there. But in terms of sort of winning her heart, because when we meet her, she's very cold and distant and I hate Christmas it's kind of like you asked me earlier with the mm. what do I think of Christmas and like putting the tree up and things like that she hates it yeah and and what I like in terms of overcoming the barriers to to embracing her childlike innocence or in the fact that she's sinning 
She's very afraid of singing in front of people. And her voice is great too. It's a brilliant, yeah. She's yeah. awesome. She's just great. And then, of course, he sneaks into the shower and runs right into the door. <laughs> the lockers, I should say. <laughs> I do love... I, I love how oblivious he is and how yep. genuine childlike he is. Like, he, he... And his performance is, like, exemplary from the fact that he... He makes the audience believe what he's saying. Like, he yes. is that believable when he's... And, I mean, it's, I mean that's saying a line. I know it's iconic, but mm. the sheer just guttural reaction he has this mm. ultimate fan oh girl. yeah Santa! it's just <laughs> so funny because oh it, it feels like it catches off guard people in the scene how yeah. full on it is <laughs> um it's yeah i mean again it's that he's i mean he, when he jumps in front of the kids you know hopping up and down trying to get santa's attention just that He's the perfect child in that moment. And then he's so distraught when it's not Santa. <laughs> they get into a, a, a giant brawl, basically, across the store. Honestly, the comedy hits, except for the food-eating thing. That's, well, like that's the just one. too gross. It's just it's too <laughs> gross. Oh, God. You know what really threw me off? The guy. So when he goes into the mailroom and he's having that sort of... I guess it's alcohol in the drink. Yeah, it's whiskey. They're, they're kind of acting high, but it, I guess they're meant to be drunk in that scene. But, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one. But the thing that really caught me off guard is that guy. He said he was 26 years old. <laughs> I was, I was thinking the same. I was thing. like, I was what? Like, I was like, geez, I'm aging well. Then, my God, <laughs> that's 26 back I'm, then. I'm never going to the mailroom, Zeke. <laughs> it ages me. Up. I like that the mailroom is basically just the Fight Club. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was it, okay. I'll, yeah, I'll say this convicts. to you now because. Yep. I think that's so this is, funny. This is interesting, right? So, yep. is there an elf out there mm. that's MA? Okay. So, this is a PG film. I'm surprised in your list earlier, Christmas, you didn't mention the, um, is it the night before oh, Joseph got like, 11? You know, I do like that. I yeah. do like that film. Yeah. But is there a, a more adult version of this film? Like mm. you said. When they when they feel like they're they're high rather than drunk, right? Yeah. I honestly, you know what? I also feel Harold and Kumar Christmas special. That's like oh, a great. I never seen it. Fun adult comedy, but there you go. There's something about like the fish out of water com, like mm. having that almost those more adult jokes, and they're kind of like what Barbie gets away with. Yeah, that's true. Barbie's definitely a bit more overt with like the sexual windows. Like Elf doesn't really have anything like that I don't think I don't think it needs it it's more no, just like little no. things like I think it ages better because there isn't too much of that yeah but like that scene where it like escalates and he's there doing the jiggy dance wouldn't it be more mm. funny if he got into like a fight or something like that I don't know right like, yeah uh, well uh, there I mean there's the Peter Dinklage appearance yeah like, and even that's a little bit of a fight that's true or the um is it the it's um a raccoon that attacks him when he <laughs> <laughs> First arrives in New York. So good. I love the hey, way he goes. To, he goes to hug the camera, and he's just—he's like already like leaning back, like I'm about to get attacked. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. Um, and I love—I love the um that he's such—he's such a genius at the etch a sketch. Yeah. He's, he's able to quickly form entire letters using that's so funny to me. But that—that's one of the other things this film does in terms of um Buddy's superpower, if you will. 
is that you know at the North Pole he's he can only put together eighty five um oh god what's it called not not build a bears it's, I can't remember what it was the quota that he was meant to do but he he does eighty five instead of nine hundred instead of, yeah exactly and um so you know the other elves sort of make fun of him he's kind of slow at production in that way but then that translated to New York and the and the real world in lack of a better word um he's actually quite a good craftsman even though he's stealing wood from the the TV display. (laughs) But, you know, he's got that that gift of um, craftsmanship, and then obviously by the end of the film we realise he sort of ends up becoming more of a storyteller where he reads his own um, book. So I think it's really cute. But that kind of leads us to the last sort of enemy to to Trump, which of course is uh, James Caan's Walter, Mm. the biological father, of course, who is the most... I mean, right off the bat, when he he's like, "Oh, we don't need to recall those pages. The kids don't need that context." It's like already like, "What a cheap, what a cheap ass." Yeah, he's um not a lot. Of, he's got real Scrooge energy. Yeah, exactly. But, um, well, what what do you think of his arc? I think it's it's serviceable. Hmm. It's definitely one of those parts of the. I think the film's biggest selling points and its biggest strengths is, well, the the situational comedy for sure for you know obviously um buddy but also that performance from from will ferrell i, I think though that the real strong points of the film i i think khan's good he has to be the straight man yeah he obviously has to play the straight man so yeah he doesn't get that that freedom um i don't know his performance doesn't resonate with me not like uh, you know especially if we're looking at the antagonists of other Christmas films, I think, like, mm. for example, Pesci's performance in Home Alone. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just so iconic, but so entertaining and so fun. Yeah. Um, and I guess, like, when you look at some of the other villains, like, the his villains in the story, which are, like, the the guy, I guess, that's funding the the books or the big, the big shareholder, and then, obviously, Peter Dinklage, um, where they're a bit more comical and over-the-top, a little more mm. Joe Pesci-esque. So, I, I get you there. I think... And I, I don't know. I might, I might think about this more, but I feel like there were some missing beats in his arc. Yeah, almost like that he could use a little bit more time. Like mm. you know, they set up so early when Santa, who is quite their their depiction of Santa, I quite like. He's almost like a street smart Santa. In yeah, a way. yeah. Um, like when he talks to Buddy about sort of New York, and he's don't like, eat the random gum on the street. <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh. which is the best is it pizza or it's, I think it's pizza yeah like it, it, yeah. just because it says it's the best pizza doesn't mean it is it's actually yeah. on this one right yeah <laughs> that he has an actual answer for yeah. it it's so it's so New York I love it um, but <laughs> yeah it, that's a good way to put it street smart Santa yeah yeah which is different from what you might expect yeah like he's not like a ho 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 jolly kind of like mm. like he's got this more rounded sense like this yeah. weathered veteran but not in a cynical way just in a like oh the elves are great and I love my elves but they can be a little naive and silly and mm. and, and sort of has that when he's talking to Buddy it's like talking yeah. it almost is like talking to a kid that's not, not he yeah. tries you know well it's, nice a, it's like but that's his childhood hero yeah you know and obviously they've crossed paths before but it's like finding him in Central Park. By the way, we need to spin off on those Central Park Rangers. <laughs> they need their own Disney Plus show, I reckon. But yeah, it's um that that relationship that they have, even more so than the one he has with you know his non biological dad, Papa Bear, or Papa Bear. My goodness, Papa Elf, I should say. Um, yeah, it's special and wholesome, and he really lifts Buddy's spirits in that final moment to help him get the sleigh back up. 
Yeah, I I do think that there. Yeah, for the the James Khan the the mm. Walter storyline, there are those missing moments that we don't get too much emotional resonance with. Um, the, the the mother of Buddy, the mother. for example. There's yeah. not a lot in there. Yeah, and I get it because he's obviously remarried and stuff. But there's got to be an emotion. I think that if you want to try and create a little bit more empathy with your character mm. and sort of see is that the reason he became very selfish because he lost that person it would almost yeah, fare better yeah yeah add some elements like that well I've, I'd say this now it would almost fare better if if Khan's character of Walter maybe was divorced like had a kid because mm. I think having the, the brother aspect is really important to the story yeah but maybe he's had a relationship that's fallen apart um mm. and sort of that aspect because we get told very early on by street smart Santa that <laughs> your dad's on the naughty list. Yes. And we see little glimpses of why he's on the naughty list, but nothing mm. overt or like, no, he's and- kind of lost his spirit. He's become a cynical sort of business guy. And that's the thing they could have, they could have made it a bit more gray in, in the sense that, well, he's doing this to protect his family and that maybe if he, you know, he's a workaholic and he's got to do this and he's got to work on Christmas Eve, but maybe he has to do it because it's the only place he can get a job and provide for his family. And I get, like, the movie's called Elf. Like, I get you can't go too deep into the weeds with that kind of story, but I would have loved a scene where maybe he does take a, you know, he takes a longer lunch break from work. Everyone's like, where, where, where's Walter? He's not here. And it turns out he's maybe gone to lunch with the mother of this this uh, sudden child that's shown up, and they mm. have a conversation about that. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm with you. I wish there was a little more spice to that. There's just a little bit more building there, and and mm. like you said, you know, it takes so long for Feral's character nearly an hour to be out of the elf costume, and mm. then that that's kind of the moment where you know Walter is takes him to the office. Yeah, and. There, there isn't uh, too much. I mean, in a film that's an hour thirty, and you've spent the first hour basically just playing on the fish out of water comedy, which is funny and hilarious. Mm. But at its core, this is where the development needs to happen. It's these two need to um, either develop a relationship, but have that proper falling out. They never, they never. It doesn't feel like it quite gets there on that particular mm. level. I guess because I understand the argument as well that well you don't want to pepper all this stuff in about maybe he's divorced or he meets the old, the, the you know, the ex-mother or all of that stuff. When well, really, dead. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, but you could have written it. Talking about she's her not dead, death but... or like talking about her in a positive light. In like right. A, in a like, oh, I really loved her. and. But what I mean is like, you can, I understand that all being fluff if you want to just make the arc completely related to Buddy directly and have that be a relationship. That makes sense. That probably is the smarter way to do it in a 90 minute film. But, you know, when you talk about the low point, I guess the low point would be when he sabotages the meeting, he fights Peter Dinklage, <laughs> and then he's kicked out, like, you know, I don't want you here, get out of here. But it's only about maybe eight minutes after that that he quits his job. Yeah. And I feel like there's a there's a piece missing there. Yeah. You know, other than just his son showing up, being like, Buddy's missing. I think there needs to be yeah, a I little... I don't know. Yeah, don't know. a little bit more of a... Almost like that... You could argue, well, there could be like a soul link between Buddy's mother and mm. and that sort of trifecta relationship. The fact that maybe his goodwill and stuff, yeah, comes a lot from Papa Elf. Yeah, but has that? It's that sort of unspoken, subconscious sort of relationship stuff that, like, oh, well, you reminded me, like, 
of your mum or like someone I haven't mm. thought about, you know. Because like Yeah, like a Harry Potter, you have your mother's eyes type. Yeah, like something, something that allows that affiliation to be a little bit more than Oh well the mum's dead and basically you're just gonna harass him with a photo until yep. he comes and bails you out of jail. <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a tough critique because the film's funny. Like it is, and like it's a great film. But like I kind of just noticed that I was like, ah, uh, I feel like there was a tiny bit more to him. And then we just kind of got really into the weeds of all the potential um, for the Walter character and, and where he could go with that transition. Yeah. But again, I think it is smart that they ultimately do simplify to okay. Well, it's just the relationship he builds with Buddy, and the fact that he's he's slowly. Um, sort of losing his family to this work-life balance he can't seem to get right. Um, and then he ultimately has that arc and meets Santa. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's coming to town. He's coming to town. That's it. But um, a couple of things I wanted to just quickly shout out before we maybe get into our highlight scenes. First off, move over, Lord of the Rings. Is this how you do? Um, <laughs> forced perspective and, you know, changing people's sizes. And I it's thought pretty it was, good. It was quite good in this film. It was. It was. I mean, Lord I liked, of the Rings is perfect the small utilization. Toilets, the small yeah. <laughs> the giant tools that all the elves have, like sanding <laughs> and hammering things. That was hilarious to me. But I also love, and I noticed this, that there are a lot of like IP toys. Like there are Sesame Street toys mm. in there that they're making. The uh, the Monopoly things they've got in carts. Which maybe is a whole thing of, you know, you do a film like this for kids who still believe in Santa Claus that... You want that believability. Well, a lot of them would have gotten, yeah, like Elmo toys or like IP-centric toys. So I, I like that they got them in there and established that the elves do create copyrighted toys. Because <laughs> I guess it, it was adds, really clever, wasn't it? It was. It kind of adds to that. And the other shout out I want to give is the little news story shot they get of Elf walking into Central Park. Is I love that it's like a Bigfoot sort of visual echo. Mm. The way he's sort of swinging his arms and they catch him in that pose. Yeah, I thought that was quite clever. That is, that's clever, isn't it? I never noticed that until this this most recent viewing. They're good pickups. Yeah, thank you. The copyright one in particular. That's such a smart way of getting that fine balance between like kids who still believe in Santa. Like, Santa's real. Mm-hmm. He is, yes. Yeah. I like to believe he is. Yeah. Well, we've got to get the say up there, Zeke. Absolutely. We can't rely on the clawsometer. That's <laughs> your singing voice. That's it. It's uh, it's great. I can get in there, Zeke. <laughs> With the great singing voice. Jake, what was your highlight scene? I, you know what's funny? We mentioned it earlier. And uh, you know what? It, it's not the most cheery or interesting set or scene. But it, I feel like it encapsulates a lot of the the relationships and the two-handed balance the actors have. Um, even though I feel like a, a cotton-headed... Ninny Muggin for saying it. <laughs> mm. it. Has to be the hospital scene. You're not a Ninny Muggin. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Don't tell him the truth. Uh, yeah, it's it's the doctor scene with John Favreau, and the reason is the majority of it is this nice, clean oneer, which I really appreciated as he's eating the like the the fake cotton candy, if you will, or the, the cotton balls in the doctor's office. But then how the, him uh, that John Favreau and James Khan are trying to sort of hold him down and, and you know, come like a child would and he's just completely distracted by, what's that over there? What's that painting? What's going on? Screaming when he gets stabbed by the needle. It just feels like a nice encapsulation of mm. the, the performances, the two-hander and the the silly performance and then the straight performance having to, to gel together. So that would probably be my highlight scene, Zeke. I like the snowball fight. 
Yeah, that is good. It's the it's the (laughs) the machine gun aspects, but it's the honestly the sheer carnage that happens from the start of the scene. It is, yeah, it's quite brutal. I don't think I've ever seen that many snowballs in a. a (laughs) You know what? I've done that. I've tried to do that before. Oh, build a snowball. It's tough doing that. I was gonna say when because it's another oneer where Mm. Michael's putting together his own snow snowball. I'm like, that would have taken a while, not because of the hundreds that Will Ferrell's holding that some PA is put in his hand when it's off frame. But because Michael has to get the shot right, yeah, and put together a snowball is really, really quickly. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's a tough thing to do, and yeah. they never come out like that perfect shape. No, so. exactly. So I call shenanigans. <laughs> but I believe Buddy can do it no. though. I find it really. I it's just a fun scene. It's yeah. a fun sequence. Obviously, it wins over. Uh, I would say that scene, and then the scene where Farrell is interrogating the false Santa. I sit on a throne of lies. That's so funny. <laughs> For me, that's like... That's what do you sing what... on my birthday? Oh, yeah, happy birthday, of course. He's like, damn it. <laughs> the That's, that's for me, that's like feral peak comedy that almost yeah. feels like it's ad-lib, but it's like the hyperbolized language, the, mm. the throne of lies. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's, you know, it's the I'm blind sort of scenes, those vibe like from Anchorman. Yeah. And, and I just love when he does those sort of deadpan serious, but what he's saying is not serious. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's funny just, because he's so serious about something yeah, that's relatively silly. So funny. Yeah. But well, I, I'd, well. I'd say those two. Even the, the shower singing scene, I mean, just to hear Deschanel's voice. Is yeah. They're, they're great together. They're little they little duet they, they put together. He's really nice. Yeah. He's not got a bad voice. Mr. No. We should hear him sing more. But uh, there you go. Wonderful. Uh, Elf is currently out on dot, dot, dot. Netflix, Stan, Binge. The works. All that good stuff. And you know, I didn't realise, we talked about a Chris, uh, It's a Wonderful Life earlier. I'm pretty sure that went in the public domain in the 70s. So that's why it's virtual on every streaming service, mm. which I thought was quite interesting. There you but, go. Yeah, but Elf is also very easy to find well, as well. Speaking of streaming services, mm. Jake, is there anything coming out to streaming services and cinemas on Christmas Day? Is there anything coming out? Zeke, can you see my document here? Do you see how bloody big oh my, my Lord. document is? That's a big what document. What is happening? That's like a trip to Bethlehem and back. <laughs> All right, let's let's do this. So, of course, this is a pre-record. We're recording yes. this a little earlier, so some of this may be subject to change. This is live, baby. Live, baby, live. live. Let's go live, baby, live, baby. And uh, this is very unique as well for us, Zeke. This is the first episode of the Cinema Sideshow podcast where we're going to have a two-week break, not a one-week break, which is crazy. So that, maybe that's a tiny bit of the reason why the list is a little longer. Yeah. Then you might be. You might be. <laughs> you might, might be. It guys, it's literally a page long, like yeah. an entire page long. Just, just so you know. But all right, let's do this, Zeke. So coming to Netflix this week, we have the Nick Cage, Nick Holt film, Renfield, which I think is like their vampire. Did not of. get good ratings. No, it did not. Hmm. Not great, but you know it's there, free on Netflix. Well, you know with the yep. subscription, of course. You've also got Ricky Gervais's Armageddon, which is I guess a new like stand-up thing that he's doing. Oh, so there you go. Haven't Com- liked the last couple from him. No, I, I, yeah, I've never really. I don't know. There's something about it's so hit or miss for me. Like mm. when he's roasting Hollywood, that's fun. But when he's doing stand up or like Afterlife, those shows, I just can't stand him. I really don't know. So it's odd. But regardless, 
coming to Stan this week. Uh, we got Scrapper. I think it's Scrapper. There's two Ps. It's a relatively recent film. Rachel's Farm, which I believe is an Aussie film that came to cinemas a few months ago. A White White Day, um, which I'm forgetting. I don't think it's an Icelandic film. I'm. Fi- it might be a Netherlands film. It's very ice, ice cold, the imagery behind that film. I saw it in theaters in 2020. It was really quite good. Quite enjoyed it. And I don't know how up to date you are in this week. Season 4 premiere of Bump. Uh I didn't realize. I thought the end of the show was seasoned. I am up to date. Oh, well, there I'm you go. Per- There's a fourth season. It was because that third season was pretty bad. Um, Ooh. No, I think I talked about it on the show. I was genuinely yeah. kind of bummed. Because I did, also They jumped the end- time, didn't they? Big jump. So oh, they went see. from the first season, she has a kid. Second season, still has the baby. Yeah. Like, I think she's like one. Sure. And then the, this one jumped, I think, five years. So she's 23 uh, okay. in in it. And he's 23. Um, and they've, like, separated. Oh. It's a big, big twist at the end of the first seed, which is... Mm. You know, it's, it's funny, but then they've done things with characters. They brought people in and they've diversified their casting mm. for no particular reason. Yeah. I thought it was weird directions they went. You know, they they made one of the main characters buy. And right. look, I don't mind these decisions, but I'm always Did saying, they just kind of change it randomly? They just they the went show. from it almost felt like yeah, it felt like a real knee jerk. And then but the end of season three felt very definitive. Okay. It felt like I was like, oh, is that it for the show? Is this mm. like done? Okay, interesting. Um, kind of felt so I'm definitive. proper like Perhaps maybe hmm. they thought it was the last season. They've got renewed for another season, or people were complaining so much that maybe that's why they have a fourth season. Right. Yeah, maybe one day you'll watch it and you'll be able to have your input. But it felt like I one wouldn't of those... mind watching it because I know you spoke highly of the first couple of seasons. It's good. It was good, like drama Australian television. Mm. You know, it sort of has the same sort of energy as something like what Offspring had for which in its peak run, people quite liked. Or Packed to the Rafters, these yeah. sort of. Australian shows that, you know, they're not going to set the world on fire or anything. But sure. they're good consumable. It's great to see that kind of stuff coming out. It almost has that yeah. quartet baby teeth-esque dynamic to oh, it. Oh, so. I see. That's cool. Which, yeah, feels... The fact that it doesn't feel as Australiana as, like, an American... No, I was going to say American. As an Animal Kingdom, for example, I think mm. kind of makes it feel unique in its own way. So I really do... I do like that a Absolutely. lot. Coming to Disney Plus this week... We've got the Doctor Who Holiday Special, which sees the debut of uh, Nikuti Gatwa as the new Doctor and Millie Gibson as his companion. I think it's the 60th anniversary of Doctor Doctor Who this year. So I think it's He's um, African-British, isn't he? Yeah, I think... Is he the first black Doctor? Is that... Yes. Yeah, okay. I think he's the first, like... Per, like yeah. Gotcha. I'm sure there's probably been some Doctor Who nerd will come in and be like, oh, there was this thing. But right, no, he's like, like oh, the... There's this episode where there was 15, 15 alternate universes. He's like the 15th or 16th Doctor. Gotcha. Yep. And he's African-British or British-African. Gotcha. At least that's how they say it. It sounds right. African-British. Yeah. Yeah. It might be um, alphabetical. A-B. Yeah. Because it's African-American, so I assume African-British is how you would say it. Yeah. Sorry if A-F-A-M. I got it wrong. No, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I, that's my guess. This is alphabetical. You never know. Also coming to Prime with this, we have a hypnotic 
which is a Robert Rodriguez and Ben Affleck action mystery film. I think that also didn't get very good ratings from memory. Yeah, doesn't sound... Mm. Not a big Robert Rodriguez fan, to be honest. Uh, okay. Yeah. We talked about Chuck Point Lava Girl earlier. <laughs> <laughs> weird film it's like Spy Kids 3D yeah god there you go also coming to binge this week you're excited for this week Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves great film yeah look forward really to the sequel they will definitely yeah that, that definitely feels like they can get a whole franchise out of it yeah they should because we, we're kind of missing that feeling I, I would like to see a little bit more I did I did say my thoughts when I watched the film I would like yeah. to see a little bit more of the the Dungeons and Dragons aspect to the actual game. It'll lo- like it'll be really strategic cool. dungeon or like the action. Well, because we got this really good story, mm. I would love for at least the last. I would hope that if it was like a trilogy, that the last shot of the trilogy was like kids playing it. Like it was right. Like gotcha. Everything they had done. So they didn't then, do that in this film. No, there was no like Lego Movie. Gotcha. Crossover to the, the okay. threshold real world implications, but there absolutely should be in something like mm. this. If it just starts, if it just cuts to the the first episode of Stranger Things, well, that's, <laughs> I was literally just thinking Stranger Things exactly. Yeah, no, it can't. It does feel really natural, doesn't it, to do that? And it kind of has like a yeah. wider meta implication on this on the themes of the film. Yeah, because that's sort of the aspect I think you you want to have mm. in there. I think, but um, yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting. It's just a. Fu- if anything, it was just a perfect substitution for that kind of popcorny, fantasy fun. Yeah. Um, that kind of feels Star a bit rare Trek-esque. nowadays. Yeah. 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 Well, the the MCU is is keeps going down, and it makes me happy. <laughs> Although I've been told I have to watch Loki season two because it's so good. I could see you doing like a voice when you when you said that. <laughs> have to because apparently it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I don't care. Nah, I've, I'm, I'm not done jumping on now. I think we're done. Let, think it, we're done let it die. Life. Let it die. Let the past die. Yeah. Exactly. Kill it if you have to. Kill it if you have to. We'll be mentioning Anna what Driver. What film is that? In a just minute. Where <laughs> Doesn't exist. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> strange. Um. All right. Come into cinemas now. This will be so. All that for streaming is between the 25th and the 31st. Now we're going to lead right into the next two weeks for cinemas because we have a bit more information about those two weeks. And holy moly, mother of God, Zeke, if you are a film fan, when you go to the cinemas on Boxing Day, you're going to get broke very quickly. Are you ready? Okay. So coming out on Boxing Day, we have Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is James Wan returned to the director's chair, Black Manta returned as the villain, and Jason Momoa's titular character, this time teaming up with his brother, the former king of Atlantis. Do you care at all about this? I see they've uh, they've replaced her, haven't they? I mean, that's her. kind of the thing is he's taken over as the sidekick character, but that's the that's the debate. Is it was she completely cut from the film or not? She'll probably get killed off in like the first ten minutes. <laughs> It'll be like one of them, like she's there and then off-screen death. Yeah, I really don't know because there's too much speculation and BS about all the behind the scenes and whether she did reshoots or. You know what I mean? It's like we'll have to see it. I'm curious. I'm curious because it's big. It's very interesting. This My from thing a studio is, does it, will it really affect the finances of the the film? Right. Like, will people not go because she's in it? I'm inclined to disagree. I think mm. anyone who's going to go see Aquaman, 
They don't care about the court case and yeah. Amber Will Heard it actually and yeah, have yeah, yeah. any implications? Yeah. Like, I imagine they've probably... To cut it completely, if it affects your plot and story, it's like, is that really... But then it comes back yeah. to how many of these bloody DC films have had any plot or story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it, I, yeah, if it was like a, a Yorgos Lanthimos film, then it, like they had to change the story. I think you're right. It would be a little more sad than if, oh no, the Aquaman story has changed. Now Gurp Jwerp won't show up in this credit after credit scene. I'm so sad. <laughs> Gurp Dwerp. Gurp Dwerp, my favourite decent character. <laughs> let him die. Oh, let it pass die. What was that from die, again? Let it die. <laughs> Speaking of Yorgos Alamphimus, the entirely anticipated Golden Lion winner, Poor Things, comes out on Boxing Day. It stars Emma Stone as Bella Baxter, a Frankenstein esque creation from Willem Dafoe's Dr. Goodwin Baxter. This looks amazing. And creepy and weird. <laughs> it's a Lanthimos film. You know what you're getting into. Exactly. I am so curious about Emma Stone's performance. I'm here Just, for it. I, I want to see how far she takes it because I have a feeling she's game. I reckon she's game for this kind of thing. So we've got a couple more animated films coming out on Boxing Day. We've got Wish, which is a new film from Disney and invokes the style of their classic animations to celebrate their 100th anniversary. It sees a young girl, Asher, wish upon a star and get more than she bargained for when a troublemaking star comes down from the sky to join her. I'm not hearing great things about this because I guess it's already out in the US. Mm. Like, it came out weeks ago in the US. And and it's bombing, I think. And Australia's only getting it now, like at the end of the year. Yeah, it's... I don't know what's going on there. We've also got Migration, the latest from Illumination and follows a family of ducks... Really, ducks? As they convince their overly protective father to go on a vacation of a lifetime. Were they ducks? Is that the story? I guess they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah they were ducks. Are they ducks? Okay. Where did I see there that? Are, there are kids keen for this. Because it's illumination. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. But like, even when I went to see Napoleon, and this is like a 10 a.m. Saturday in Whitford's, and there were kids like rushing to the poster. They had like the big marquee thing. And the kids like, oh my god, oh my god, like, I can't wait to watch this. I was like, I haven't seen this in a long time. Like, kids actively excited about seeing it. Yeah. I guess, I mean, hey, Super Mario Brothers made a killing. Dawn of the Nugget. At the book, Dawn of the Nugget. Oh. oh, I'm keen. I'm so keen. One Life sees Sir Anthony Hopkins as Nicholas Winton, the British humanitarian who saved hundreds of Central European children from the Nazis on the eve of World War Two. Looks fine. Yeah, it's pretty Oscar Beatty, isn't it? He'll be great in it. Yeah, of course he will be, but no, it's it, uh, watching the trailer left me with like, yep, that's coming out about the right the, the time it should be coming out at. There's a shot at um right at the end when I think I think the person at the front. And this is such a spoiler. Why they even put this in the trailer? Which is, oh, please put your hand up. You know, if it's if he's it's, it's a live broadcast, like that actually happened on television. sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but I mean, like the fact that it's in the trailer, yeah clearly what's meant to be like the ending sniff sniff moment and it cuts to him and he's like I think he wipes he's quickly wiping a tear away and it's like that's a great like little nuance in his acting but why would you show that in the yeah. trailer it's the ending because uh, I guess it's, it's kind of like the seven pounds t- trailer or something like that's the first or pursuit of uh, happiness trailers okay. those ones that are like so 
over the top and pretty much tell the movie before they happen. Yeah. But yeah. the funny thing is, Lucinda's next to me, obviously because it came on before the Napoleon film, and she goes, right. she goes, yeah, on live television. She knew the story of this. this oh, person that's cool. Yeah, because it was must have been big in the UK when it, of like, Nicholas Winton. But it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, it happened on live TV, like everyone sticks their hand up. Yeah. It's like, he doesn't know that everyone that, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was that whole, like, everyone. I was like, cool. I don't need to see that movie now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I go on YouTube and watch the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fair enough. It's kind of like the whole thing about Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, it's so cool. They recreated the last, that 20 minute concert. At... <laughs> cool. But I had to sit there for two hours to get to it. <laughs> or I could have just watched the concert. No, the exactly. Freddie Mercury. Just watch it on YouTube. But later. no, hand Rabbi Malik and Oscar. <laughs> He wore buck teeth. Oh. oh, I'm sorry. He's opinionated. I like it. <laughs> I think Rally, Rami Malek's an exceptional actor. I don't think that just because you play Freddie Mercury in mm. a film... Automatically win the Oscar. Yeah. And just because you hit the cut button 50,000 times in... in premi- It wasn't premiere, but... um. Well, they're stamping their feet and clapping their hands. We were rocky, baby. Best editing. <laughs> All right, all right. Let's, Sorry, let's all let's all calm down, everyone. <laughs> also, coming to Boxing Day is anyone but you, which sees Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell on a destination wedding in Australia, and having to pretend to be the perfect couple to keep up appearances. I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna say, Zeke, I'm keen to watch this. No, you're not, because they're half naked the whole movie, and I'm like, why not? Well. They're both very attractive people. They are both very attractive people. I love Glenn Powell. Like I, ever since everything one everybody wants some. Yeah. I think he is the funniest, like coolest, cool, perfect balance of cool, funny, and good looking. Yeah. I also love. Go- I also love Glenn Powell. I think he's very sexy. Yeah. I mean, great in his role in Top Gun Maverick. Yep. I I find set it up quite a fun. Film. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, this film's getting like already. I think the the original it, it, most people think this film's going to be terrible. Sure, it just feels like they wanted to go on a holiday and they made a movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but hey, at least it's in Australia, so that's nice. But hey, two good-looking people basically doing the proposal. In yeah, Australia. it just feels like it's been a while since we've gotten that in cinemas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not like a straight to Netflix thing. And they're both very attractive people. Yeah. We're only humans, Zeke. Yeah, it's okay. Kirstie's already agreed to go see it with me, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and she thinks yeah. Sydney Sweeney's very attractive, so it's fine. Yeah. She can look in her. No Zoe Deutsch, but no. Oh, you know, it, is. <laughs> it is what it is. Also coming on Boxing Day, Coupe de Chance is a French thriller written and directed by Woody Allen. Mm. And sees two young people's bond lead to. Uh, mit, mit, I miswrote this, but marital in. De, in Fidelity, my goodness. And ultimately, crime. The hustle turn right there. I like it. There you go. Two Tickets to Greece is a comedy in which two childhood friends cross paths after many years and decide to finally take their dream vacation to Greece. It's the latest Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. <laughs> That's such a nice film, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I'm, I'm sure it is. I'm like sure it is. Nice, Just a nice film. We need those every now and then. Yeah. Sometimes you really are like a, a 60-year-old lady. Thank you. <laughs> Downton Abbey. That's it. I Mr. do love Harris. a bit of Downton Abbey. Yes, there you go. <laughs> I love that. Titanic, just for the culture. Yeah. Oh, Titanic's fantastic, though. <laughs> That's coming in my head now. <laughs> Damn, hey, first, first Frozen. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. Um, now, before we move into the new year, 
yeah first week of 2024 there is a preview new year's eve screening of sophia coppola's priscilla now this is at all of the lunars lunar leaderville sx windsor all of them so uh that could be fun yeah that would be fun you're, you're gonna miss it zeke <laughs> I see the German version. Or something to be else. fair, you, you probably you can wa- you can watch that film as soon as you step off your flight. <laughs> yeah. So to be, I should be complaining, not you. All these films coming on Boxing Day, you can play, go to the US and watch them whenever you want. <laughs> what am I? What am I making fun of you for? My what? goodness. Now, January. Here we go. We're almost there, sake. We'll get there. Next score wins. The latest from Taika Waititi and sees Michael Fassbender. As, uh, as a down-on-his-luck soccer coach as he tries to turn the American Samoa team into winners. Yeah, his killing career didn't go too well. Oh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> looks fun. Looks fine. I actually haven't seen anything looks like, about this. It looks like a Cool Runnings-esque sort of Is it like kick, Will Ferrell and kicking and screaming? No. No. I'd say it, gives, it definitely gives me more like Cool Runnings vibe. Okay, fair enough. I'm sure that's definitely Taika Waititi's like the perfect one for him one one for me one for them director nowadays he's always yeah. pumping out Marvel and I think he's doing Star Wars next but yeah I don't know I have look I have no reason I didn't even I didn't even watch Love and Thunder I, I know a lot I of people hate him because of it I haven't even seen it so who cares I don't think Jojo I Rabbit's fantastic yeah, but I don't want to see a Star Wars version of a Taika Waititi no yeah, that's true <laughs> Get into, but the, that's finally get into when we, the Millennium Commodore. But that's finally... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Glip Glop will be the best character in that film. <laughs> so true. <laughs> He'll play some... Like, like, what's his name? Cl- Clunk? Oh, he, but he's already a droid. He's a droid. He is too, he's yeah. He's uh, IG-88 and, or something in um, Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun to just make fun of Star Wars character names. Yeah. They, look, to be honest, <laughs> I'm a proud Star Wars fan, but boy, it's sometimes in this new age, I find it tough to defend it. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's like the Ahsoka show. I thought it was good, but I'm not like when I see Hayden Christensen as Anakin, I'm not like, oh my god, like that's so. I'm just beyond yeah, that point yeah. of of cameos are like there've been too many of them. That's your selling point is oh you got Hayden Christensen. Remember back? When the two aliens showed up in Rogue One that were that one got his arm arm cut off in in A New Hope. They're back. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're in it. The one's got balls for mouths and. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I genuinely am like <laughs> they wasted all of them on those characters. All the good I cameos. Just don't care for cameo performances. I'm like like. There is a really good episode in Ahsoka that kind of blends clone... Like, that's... Like, yeah, there's some sure. great aspects to it. But I'm beyond the point of, oh, like, we're bringing back Darth Vader or Hayden Christensen or mm. Obi-Wan. I thought Obi-Wan was such a waste of time. Yeah, it was pretty forgettable. Was, I didn't hate it, but it was... Yeah, just... It was fine. Yeah. It was like, okay. I mean, once Qui-Gon Jinn showed up, I was like, eh, I guess, uh, fair enough, I guess. Yeah. We waited a long time. Since 1999 for that moment yeah when um oh no well 2005 really that's when yoda tells him you can communicate with him it's like you know what it is it's star wars (laughs) in a lot of ways and it's like the mcu too like all of these things they've got this like 
short attention span, but they're all about just creating moments, not about making yes, movies. They're about making moments. Spot on. It's the moment when, oh, on your left, like it's a moment, mm. you know. And that's that's a good that's a good example of a, a good moment. Sure, but the, yeah. the the newer ones, it's like, oh, let's put four superheroes together we're gonna have that big hero shot it's like yeah, yeah cool okay all the marvels wow so interesting or yeah. like they have these big they're just moments you know it's hours upon hours of content for two minutes of like epicness and there so was one, Star Wars. this was a few weeks ago when um loki was like kind of halfway through its second season and there was this thing came out like oh my god um loki just had like one of the most gruesome like awful violent scenes in any MCU film and I just looked it up and I was like oh, it was, it's just off screen and a character's like smiling at the presumed death of some people and um, I was like they, I just looked it up on YouTube and I was like okay cool I know what they're talking about I don't need to watch the rest of the story because I don't care yeah I don't care exactly you know for, for a list this size Zeke, we've been really ballsy by going on these tangents oh I'm so sorry <laughs> It's okay. It's just, Keep going, Jack. Still, there's still so many. I can't carry oh, it for you. Oh my but god! But I can carry you. <laughs> Speaking of um, Adam Driver, I told you we'll get back to him. Ferrari comes out this week. Oh, sorry, next week. Start of January. Michael Mann, Adam Driver, team up to tell the story of Enzo Ferrari, who banked his entire company's future on a treacherous 1,000 mile race across Italy in 1957. We really we saw the trailer, didn't we? Yeah. During Killers of the Flower Moon, we. I'm thinking this looks great. It's because it didn't reveal much. No, the new trailer does. That I got oh. Napoleon. Way more. I didn't see one in front of Napoleon. That's interesting. I did. I did. Way more, and it made me feel a bit more like. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm. This just feels kind of mid to me. Feels mm. kind of like I was sitting there. I was like, oh, this is giving me real like kind of Ford four V Ferrari. I like Ford V Ferrari. He's, he's good. Yeah. It's not like great, you know. Sure. I'm not... like Michael Mann, you know. Yeah. But I've never been like, I can't say I've ever been huge on Michael Mann films. That's true. He, I mean, he's great. fine. But, yeah. It's long. It's so long. It is pretty long. <laughs> They're great scene. I mean, what do you expect? You're putting Al Pacino and De Niro in a film. Yeah, cool. They just do the work for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Collateral's decent. I like Collateral. Collateral's great. Yeah. Collateral's a great film. Yeah. I got it on Blu ray now. There you go. It's probably my favourite Jamie Foxx film, I reckon. Ooh. It's up there for Tom Cruise. Yeah, definitely up there for Tom Cruise. A24 presents Dream Scenario, which sees Nicolas Cage. Look, he's back already on this list as a hapless family man whose life is turned upside down when he begins appearing in millions of strangers' dreams. I don't know what the ethos of this film is. It was a little like being John Malkovich. Like the the weird kookiness of it all. I'm worried that there's too much being revealed. Have you seen the trailer? Uh, not really. I've seen like the first 30 seconds muted. It always shows up on my... I didn't watch I it properly. I think maybe too much has been revealed in the trailer. I'm oh, worried. Okay. I'm hoping that with being an A24, it'll take a little bit more of a twist that gives us a little bit more sure. depth. But to be honest, it's just a dude... Who, who gets seen in everyone's dreams becomes popular from right. it and then with that popularity comes danger because of radicalised societal thinking. Right, okay. That's what you get from the trailer. So I'm hoping if that is uh, yeah. it, then mm. the film is going to be the most mid 
fine <laughs> film. <laughs> or there's more to it. Well, the thing is, because that sounds like every social media obsolete king of comedy s. You know, like, we've seen that done before. Yes. Obsession with celebrity culture, but the twist is obviously the way it happens in that people are starting to dream him. That's easily the most interesting part of this scenario. So, like you said, I hope there is more depth to it. Scenario. Than, yeah, because he's yeah, onto it. It, it, it <laughs> honestly feels like it has a bunch of scenes where Nick Cage is doing like, like killing them in their dreams, and they create, they oh, recreate okay. the the dream that this person's describing about. Yeah. So that's like an interesting sort of editing beat, but mm. we need, I think I need more. I need to see sure. something more because if it's just going to be that he gets in danger because of radicalized thinking. There's got to be a reason to why he's appearing in everyone's dreams. Oh, I'm sure that'll be like a reveal. And that's intriguing enough for me to watch it. I'm just, I'm mm. forecasting that if all it is is that what I've got from the trailer, I think it's going to be the most three out of five film. <laughs> the most basic mid. I gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Night Swim, based on the 2014 short film of the same name, sees a woman terrorized by an evil spirit while swimming in her pool at night. There's not a lot there. Not a lot to go mm. off there, but based on a short film, interesting. And finally, finally, Zeke, finally, the boys in the boat take place during the height of the Great Depression and sees members of the rowing team at the University of Washington get thrust into the spotlight as they compete for gold in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. It's a cool, like, backdrop, mm. like a setting. Yeah, intriguing. Yeah. I mean, there's like a hundred million other films you could watch instead of that, as, as you just heard. That might that easily has to be the longest coming soon to cinema segment we have ever done on this show. Holy mother of God. So out of all of those, what was the one that most intrigued you? I think Dream Scenario still intrigues me the most. Um, out of all of them. It probably intrigues me more than Ferrari does. Mm-hmm. Um, for me it would be poor things but it, it probably yeah it, yeah see that's how long the segment was <laughs> I already forgot about poor things that was, um, like, that was like 25 uh, minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> no Lanthimos yeah poor things probably because I, I haven't watched a Lanthimos film and not disliked them I thought yeah. they were weird as <laughs> yeah but they but always hit they're always challenging and interesting um Especially because we've come off recently of Killing of the Sacred Deer, so yeah, it's true. Um, that makes me excited for a, for a mm, Lanthimos film. Me too, so keen. However, I mean, Jake, yes, we're not watching any of those next week on the no. show. <laughs> <laughs> That's surprising because it really could have been any of them. <laughs> but what are we watching <laughs> next week in the show? I'm quite excited for this Zeke. We've never done this film on the podcast before. We're watching The Social Network.
something substantial in order to get the attention of the clubs. Why? Because they're exclusive and fun, and they lead to a better life. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that friends, pictures, profiles? I'm talking about taking the entire social experience of college and putting it online. The site got 2,200 hits within two hours? Thousand. 22,000. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? You stole our website. They're saying we stole the Facebook. I know what it says. So did we? A million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? A billion dollars. You're going to get left behind. It's moving faster than any of us ever imagined it would behind. Let's sue him in federal court. I can't wait to stand over your shoulder and what you write is a check. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd invent a Facebook. Is there anything that you need to tell me? Your actions could have permanently destroyed everything I've been working on. We have been working on. Did you like being a joke? Do you want to go back to that? Mark! This is our time. You're being accused of intentionally breaching security, violating copyrights, violating individual privacy. Your best friend is suing you for $600 million. As for the charges, I believe I deserve some recognition from this board. I'm sorry? Yes. I don't understand. Which part? Mark Zuckerberg creates a social networking website called Facebook with his friend Eduardo's help. Though it turns out to be a successful venture, he severs ties with several people along the way. Now, there's a equally special thing about this episode we're going to do next week. Yeah. It's uh we're bringing back a very beloved guest on the show, the the longest tenured guest. That that's it and and who hasn't appeared in a in a proper full capacity on the show in I I think I can say several years and that is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time, Mr. Jack Bet. Very, very excited. Them back. Yeah, obviously as we've talked about wrapping up the show soon so having him back mm. on the show to say his final uh, farewell we've had Stephen at this point come onto the show we've had Jesse on the point come to the show we've had the girls we've had the girls <laughs> um, say hello hi and bye <laughs> exactly um, yeah just a quick in and out yeah. as they say so um, be really good to have him on the show talking about one of his favourite films ever so yeah well that that's the funny thing this this was so close to being one that I was going to push for us to do in the last 10 and I kind of just like no you know what it's okay like as much as we love the film and then Jack comes out of nowhere and says I'm going to pick the social network so shockingly not Spider-Man 2 shockingly yeah <laughs> and it will be a great conversation but until then thank you for joining us for the Cinema Science Show Podcast I was Zeke I was Jake and we'll catch you next week with David Finch's The Social Network